Today I'm talking with Darren McRae. Darren's found a lot of help using psilocybin to manage his Parkinson's symptoms. But on top of that, Darren is bringing awareness to the fact that the rising levels of CO2 in our atmosphere are severely damaging our plants and trees. He's a great man. He's got a great cause. Hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, so welcome back to our show. Uh, today, I'm very excited to talk with this man. Uh, Darren McRae was introduced to me by a friend, Leo uh, Leo Russell, that I had on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, Darren uh, is a very interesting human being. He's the founder of Spokanibus, which is a medical marijuana dispensary in uh, Spokane, Washington. Uh, Darren's a member of the Colville Confederated Tribes, as well as uh, Darren has found a lot of help managing his Parkinson's symptoms by using plant medicines like cannabis and psilocybin. Uh, so Darren, dude, thank you so much for being here, brother. I'm really, really excited to talk to you about all the knowledge that you have to share today. Uh, thank you for being here, man. Yeah, I'm real happy to be here. Yeah. Well, uh, so so Leo, I had Leo on a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about plant medicines and uh, the work that she's been doing with the ADAPT programs and the Entheo Society to help to raise awareness about psilocybin and help to decriminalize a lot of those plant medicines. And uh, immediately she started talking about you, and she sent me a couple YouTube videos of yourself, um, you know, going on video before having any plant medicines and, you know, showing the, the, uh, the effect of the tremors that you have. And then eating plant medicines, which was psilocybin. And within 20 ish minutes, your tremors have, have really subsided to a point to where they seemed manageable for you. Um, Correct. how did that, how did, how did plant medicines enter into your idea of utilizing those for the symptoms for Parkinson's? Um, for Parkinson's, uh, my breathing stopped completely uh, for, I still haven't been able to figure the reason, hmm. uh, in December of 2014, I was able to calm myself and start breathing again. I went to the doc emergency and they gave me a round of steroids. Hmm. I was down to the last two or three in the pack. And my breathing stopped again for the second time. I went back to my, and again, I couldn't take a breath. I couldn't make a sound. No, nothing. I was by myself both times. I just had to clear my mind and relax. And eventually I started breathing again. I went to emergency. They gave me a second round of steroids. Yeah. I was down to the last two or three in a pack, and my breathing was about ready to stop again for the third time. Uh, it hadn't gotten any better. It was still really, really, really bad. It was New Year's Eve at my dispensary, mm-hmm. and I brought the guy, and that was 20, uh, 2015 New Year's. And I brought the guys that worked for me some psychedelic mushrooms for New Year's. Mm-hmm. And I ate some, and about 25 minutes after, I took one of the biggest breaths I've ever taken. It wasn't like slowly, slowly it got better. It was like a light switch, hmm. like somebody blowing into a balloon. Wow. It, was, uh, it helped me breathe all night. I woke up the next morning, and I couldn't breathe again. And so I ate another uh, three grams okay. and and it helped me to breathe again. 
but that's when I notice that it stops my tremors. Hmm. My tremors were to the point where my wife fed me every six months, um, well, excuse me, for six months, every meal. And then before that, uh, at least one or two meals, I bet, for years. It just got progressively worse. I had tremors when I was young, and I, I just my health started to deteriorate. I started having grand mal seizures uh, in about 2006, I guess, mm. and 2003, when I opened up Spoke Cannabis, uh, I was uh, standing, um, my feet were starting to hurt for a couple days, and then my middle finger on my left hand stuck down for six weeks. Within three months, I couldn't lift my left arm over my shoulder. I couldn't lift the toilet seat with one hand. Within uh, three months, I couldn't walk. And so... So I went to the doctor, discovered I have rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave me um, methotrexate, which is a stabilizer immune system, okay. um, prednisone, anti-inflammatory, and painkillers. Okay. I started to get strung out by the painkillers, so I looked for alternatives and saw that cannabis uh, replaced methotrexate as an immune stabilizer and once i was able to accomplish that i didn't need the painkillers anymore wow but but uh again um so that's a couple things that i have uh that are messing with me and you know one day when i first started uh really noticing my um, Parkinson's is getting bad was around 2014, 2013 when I sold my dispenser, my retail license because I just couldn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was driving down this hill and it kind of felt weird. Uh, my eyes were kind of feeling weird a little bit. I didn't think much of it. I got down to the stoplight and it was a four lane going through Spokane uh, two bars coming across with one stoplight on each one Mm -hmm. and I looked up there and instead of only being two there were four stoplights and I kind of tilted my head a little bit Mm -hmm. and uh one of those stoplights spun at a 90 degree angle going straight with the road. Wow. I, may, it, I wasn't too far from my club, so I went to the next light, still doing the same thing. Uh, nothing moved like that, but everything was doubled. And so I linked into my club. And after that, I um, didn't drive much. I that next day, my wife drove me down, and um, we was driving, and there was a woman on the sidewalk walking, and she split into two women so far apart you could put another woman in between them. Wow! And that's happened 
uh, that went on for a long time. Mm. And I fell down in a parking lot one time in Portland because my eyes were doing that. Oh, wow. Um, but, and I didn't just have the sight, like if I was looking at, at a stoplight, um, instead of having one red dot, there would be split. There would be two at dark time. When it's night, usually is when I notice that with the stoplight. And, but they were always side by side. They were also on top of each other. Um, one time, the last time I drove, uh, which has been several years ago, probably five years ago mm-hmm. or better, I um, b- was going up the interstate and I took a side road that brought me over the freeway and dumped me out onto another road out there. And I went uh, over the overpass. And instead of turning right and following the road down, I went straight off that hill and probably 150 or better yards to the bottom. There was an on-ramp coming up uh, in the middle of that. I went through those trees and went off that hill. My back tires just barely caught uh, on that. Uh, on ramp, and I went all the way down to the bottom, turned my vehicle, uh, jumped out, hooked my air intake back up, and went on down the road. (laughs) I didn't have any adrenaline at all. Wow. So I knew there was something wrong there, so I quit driving. Then it's so hard not to drive, um, but I do it. Yeah. Um, I'm from out on the res, so I I was probably driving when I was 10 years old. Right, yeah, second and, nature to you. Exactly. And my school and the, and the store was about 17, 18 miles from my house. Mm-hmm. So anywhere you had to go out there, you had to drive. So it is very difficult. Yeah. Wow. Well, Darren, do you mind if I, so, uh, back to the, uh, the, the dosage that you were taking, uh, for, to help with Parkinson's, uh, so three grams just for, just to put it in clarification for people that might not know dosage for psilocybin, um, three grams is, is a, it's a, a decent amount of mushrooms for, to, 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 uh, activate the psychedelic side of it. You know, there's microdosing where that's a really small dosage where you're not getting the psychedelic effects, but with three grams or more, really with one gram or more, you're really starting to feel those psychedelic effects. So were you, uh, were you feeling any of the psychedelics from the, the psilocybin that you were taking when it was three grams or was it just like, just bringing you up to the, the level of managing the Parkinson's symptoms? When I first took the three grams, it hit me so hard, I had to sit down. And I I have a lot of experience with psychedelics. It's been a a long time since I ate shrooms, but Mm -hmm. it it sat me down. (laughs) And um, and, but I found as long as you stay up on your dose, you don't feel any psychedelic effects. Hmm. Okay. Are you still, uh, for your dosages now, are you still at that three gram mark? Or are you adjusting up or down now? I've 
titrated down. And when I did that three grams, I would, when I got up, take a leap in the morning, say five o'clock, I'd eat another three grams and go back to sleep. Um, if not, I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't clean myself on the toilet. I had to jump in the shower previous, and my legs were very shaky. I was having a hard time walking and standing. Okay. Um, and so after six months, uh, my source changed, so I had to titrate down to a gram and a half every five hours. And I did that probably about six, seven years. And then uh, now I'm down to a gram every five hours. Wow. And still finding the same similar type of help with it, similar type of. Uh... Um, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, I said it helps my breathing. It, it's able to control my tremors. You wouldn't even know I have any. Um, and, uh, and I could only get two or three sentences out before I had to ask you what I was saying. Mm. Uh, obviously, I can rattle on for quite a while now. <laughs> um, it, um, and I had such a tremor in my voice that it was hard to understand me. Yeah. Um, my, uh, I was supposed to send you some pictures. I'll still do that. Mm, yes. Um, but it has about two weeks, two and a half weeks before I found these. I was putting uh, conditioner in my hair over the sink. I have real short hair. I opened my eyes and there were hundreds of hairs, all maybe thousands all over the sides and the bottoms. I didn't even realize I'm I was losing my hair, but now I think back, yeah, there was a few hairs around there. Yeah. And, but this was unreal. I was shedding. And it happened until I ate those things. And then, um, sorry about my dog. Oh, no worries. Um, and um, the, after I ate those shrooms, it stopped falling out. And it came back. You know, with Parkinson's, you have really bad mood swings. Mm. And this, this, uh, I'm, I'm a lot better. Wow. Now. Yeah. And uh, I'll uh, I'll post the video in our links and in the show notes. But um, uh, Darren sent me a video. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry. Leo sent me the video of, of Darren eating the mushrooms before and after. And uh, and so I'll I'll put that link in our video in our show notes so you can see the effects of Darren previous you know pre taking uh, mushrooms and 25 minutes after. And you can see the level of management that comes into his body as those medicines start to take hold. And the drastic difference, and I can I can't even imagine Darren having to manage the symptoms that you manage. I mean, breathing is second nature to ninety nine percent of us, and we don't even realize what it's not like to breathe. You know, I have asthma, so I know what it's like to have labored breathing. But just to not just to stop breathing and be conscious of that, it's got to be terrifying. So I mean, the the fact that you can keep you could keep yourself in that calm state until you started breathing again and not just lose it is. I, I, that's that's amazing in its own in its own right without even the medicines involved you know um do, are you still having problems with uh, managing your breathing or is that more or less leveled out now 
No, I still have problems with my breathing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a hard symptom to manage, man. And I'm so happy that you found plant medicines to uh, to help you manage your symptoms. Um, yeah, you know, and being part of the indigenous uh, 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 peoples of this area, um, do you feel honestly that that the indigenous cultures are being honored with now the legalization of cannabis and the the you know the potential exploitation of all these plant medicines? You know, are the indigenous, the BIPOC, are the cultures, are they being honored in this now exploitation of these plant medicines? Um, yeah, we're starting to um, uh, get more opportunities. My tribe has a few, but, uh, but one of the things um, is for me, is psychedelics and tribes that tribes have lost that wisdom of all the natural medicines that were here hmm. and we're slowly finding them again and one of them is uh psychedelic mushrooms and if you google washington state is one of the strongest uh, excuse me, the West Coast is one of the strongest mushroom belts there there are. Wow. Um, so this, this uh, if we wouldn't have lost their medicine, I would have been using this. Um, so mm. what I'm hoping to do is... I'm sorry. What was your question? Uh, it was more of a statement, you know, it was more of a, just, uh, you know, we're, we're now understanding a lot of this, uh, you know, usages of plant medicines and, uh, you know, it's just, there's a lot of the indigenous culture that aren't being recognized for utilizing these plant medicines for a long time. And now that, you know, like cannabis, psilocybin, for example, you know, they, they might've fallen out of regular usage for a lot of indigenous cultures, but, you know, since they, uh, you know, there's a lot of tribal land that, that isn't being farmed right now that could potentially house a lot of cannabis or house uh, hemp, you know, to, to help with the tree populations and not using as many trees because hemp is a, a comparable product and it grows pretty quick. doesn't need all the, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but you know, that, that CO2 rising that we have right now, that's mass growing all the trees and into a dangerous rate, you know, hemp is a, a very strong growing product that could probably, counter a lot of the the usages of things like trees for paper you know the paper products that we have clothing hemp's clothing is very strong hemp oil is very usable um you know so it's just it, it's I, I you know and this is something that leo brought up last week when we talked was making sure that the indigenous cultures are being honored for these medicines that they've been utilizing for a long time and also giving the opportunity for not just you know rich white people to get into this business like with with what happened with cannabis you know, that you know, there's the, an onslaught of just white entrepreneurs that are taking over all this industry that was, that has been utilized by, you know, black culture, indigenous cultures, all these different cultures. But now it's, right. it's so hard for, you know, a person of color or an indigenous person to get a license to sell cannabis, which is something that, and to be fair, a, a lot of the population that's in prison right now are people of color, indigenous people that had been, you know, arrested for small amounts of marijuana. I think you were one of them for a while, you know, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when you were in Spokanibus, trying to help, when you started Spokanibus, trying to help people get marijuana so they could help their cancer symptoms and not have to go the chemical route, 
um, you were caught and you were you were uh, you were imprisoned, right? And uh, it's not just cancer. You got MS, um, Parkinson's, uh, a a, um, a whole list of different things, the whole array of things that cannabis helps with. Yes, yeah. uh, you know, from ALS to brain damage to uh, broken backs and, and di- different kinds of things. Yeah. Um. So, and when I got raided, I opened the first dispensary in Eastern Washington in 2003, and I was raided uh, in 2008. I was the only one here for five years. Wow. They um, raided me and threw me in jail. Um, I got, it was on a Friday, so I spent the weekend. I got out and they charged me with seven felonies. Oh, shit. Um, they, it, I went to court. They came at me with, um, they'd give me three felonies and, uh, six to 18 months. And, um, they, I don't know why they gave me that, that time span. Um, but, uh, my, my memory is shot too. So no that, that, that month's thing might've been either six or 18 or somewhere in there. Yeah. But, um, but I told them, man, I'm not taking that. So they came back to me again uh, a month or two later when I went back up in there. And they said, okay, we're going to give you one felony and a year, two years probation. I said, man, I'm not taking anything. Yeah, right. So, so they came back and they threw it out. Uh, and, but they they got a chunk of money from me. They said, "But we're going to keep your thirty six grand." I should have said no. I'd have been able to keep it. But um, but I said, "Go ahead." And I t- Jeffrey Steinborn over there in Seattle said, "Man, you should have you should have said no. I would have got it for you if they tried to take your money." Um, but I didn't contact him soon enough okay. to, to gain some of his wisdom. Yeah. I bet at that point in time, it's just like, you know, just, just take it. I don't care. Just leave me the F alone. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty much it. Wow. Well, so uh, just to get back to the awareness stuff that you're working on, uh, thank you for that story. And I'm, I'm, so, I'm so happy to hear that you've made it through that and that you're still advocating for plant medicines and you're advocating for even more now, um, which is uh, the, the thing that, you know, uh, I'm really, really interested to talk to you about is the awareness that you're bringing to the, the dangerous amounts of CO2 levels that we have in our atmosphere, which is making the trees grow at accelerated rates, which is also damaging the insect populations. Um, and so, if I can, let me get back to where you was talking about the hemp. Yeah, please. Um, with, and trees. What is happening with our trees? They're being forced to grow in an accelerated rate. Accelerated rate. And for them to sustain themselves, you may need extra nutrients and water, or there's just not enough for them. They're going to rot their roots out. 
And that doesn't matter what what plant or uh, it's all vegetation. Hmm. I've got a friend over on Fort Belknap uh, that works for environmental. They're on the border of Montana and North Dakota. He said the plants are seeding out four or five weeks early. When that happens, they go dormant. Um, they don't grow that every five, extra five weeks or so for the animals to have something to eat. Now, I don't know if it's uh, because uh, of the disappearance of our insects, the elevated levels of CO2, or they're being forced to grow an accelerated rate and they're burning their roots out. Kind of like somebody um, that was on steroids. They look like they're doing good, but they're burning themselves out. Hmm. So if we don't have extra nutrients in that ground, it doesn't matter what we're going to grow. And um, so what I'm proposing, my reservation is 1.4 million acres. We're right below Canada, the Columbia River. Uh, is flows right on the shores of my reservation. Mm. We're surrounded by water on three sides. And so what uh, I propose is that we're going to have to, there's a guy out of California that came up with this. I can't remember what they call it, but we take a big, uh, build a big feedlot and put, say, 100 head of cattle in there for two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then we pick up and move the stakes and move the cattle and do that again and till the ground up. And then we'll have enough nutrients in the soil, hopefully, ah. to be able to grow at the accelerated rate they're being forced to grow because of, uh, because of, so that so instead of trying, well, I mean, eventually, hopefully, we'll try to decrease the amount of CO two in the atmosphere. I know that the the world is working to do that, but how long that's going to take is who knows. So what one of the things that you're talking about is uh, instead of you know not instead of, but as well as we're working as a as a planet to decrease the CO two, you're also trying to get more nutrients into the ground to help counteract and give the roots and the trees the nutrients they need to help grow with the amount of CO two that's currently in the air. Correct. Okay, gotcha. And and to tell you the truth, it's too late. Oh. And and here's the deal: the what the reason all this is happening is pre industrial revolution. We sat at two hundred eighty parts per million. Uh, we've been registered at four twenty. Uh, that's a increase of fifty percent. Wow. So for a million years, it took us to get to 280. Hmm. And 260 years ago, uh, we started burning fossil fuels, and it increased it by 50%. Um, if you Google what does elevated levels of CO2 do to vegetation, it's a research is all the experts will say that it forces it to grow in an accelerated rate. Hmm. But nothing can grow bigger than faster forever. There's only been one area of people that I've been able to find that is talking the same way I am. 
And you can read that article by Googling 16 million acres of dead trees. What they're talking about, there's a U.S. Forestry Service out of Idaho did a story uh, with uh, Creme 2 News. That swath runs from, from Idaho into Montana. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you can look in there and you can't see anything wrong with it. There's no uh, insects. There's no dead foliage, no dead tops. And you know more than normal, and um, and a pro can look in there and not see what's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. They're they're attributing that to an invasive species. It's called blight rust, and they'll tell you that it moves slow. Now I'm here to say it's impossible for a disease to travel 16 million acres underground moving at a slow rate hmm. and not and not show a rate of decline that first tree needs to look different uh, or their hypothesis is incorrect and the reason those roots look like they're rotten is because they're they're burning themselves out Right. from uh, searching for the nutrients and moisture that's not there. Mm-hmm. Now you sent me and, an, in prep for our, for our interview today. And again, I'll put these links in our show notes, but you sent me a bunch of videos of you going around to seemingly healthy trees, whether they're saplings or, you know, somewhat established trees and, um, and, and being able to break uh, a seemingly healthy branch right in half, which in theory should just bend with that because of the amount of water and the amount of sap that's in there. It should just bend with it, but it's breaking. And again, like you said, seemingly healthy, but very, very damaged trees. And with that, it doesn't matter if it's a conifer or it's a deciduous. And it doesn't matter if it's rural or if it's urban. So urban getting fertilizer, uh, I went up to a park and I was, I've been watching these trees and uh, I uh, presented at the Affiliated Tribes of Northwest Indian Conference. Mm-hmm. And I went up there and grabbed an example off that, uh, a branch off there. I broke one of the branches off. And this is in a park that uh, here about two years ago, mm-hmm. I believe that was in 2018. Well, in about two, three years ago, we, excuse me, we had a windstorm here in Spokane that uh, cost us $3 million. Oh, wow. And I went up to that park pretty much all those trees were laying down and they got no roots to them. Mm. And, and if you go uh, look up um, observed evidence of a changing forest and look at the rest of the videos there I have, I don't know what, either you got to scribe to it to look at them or I don't know how that works. But that, um, there's one in there called um, dry, dry roots or rotten roots, something like that. It's okay. it, it, 
And what that is, there's a video of me walking up to a green tree, a pine tree, green top, and there's pretty much no root ball on it. And I walk over to that, and I um, mess with that tree, and it, it sounds like paper. And you, you can just and you can just pull it apart like paper. Um, there's no lateral roots in the, in these trees, um, on these trees. And like I said, that doesn't matter if they're being watered and fertilized in a park or somebody's yard. It's or in a forest. It's happening everywhere. Wow. And speaking about lateral roots, mm-hmm. in 2019, the news stations were talking about how many cones were on the ground. So I went out and looked, and my forestry background from working with the Spokane tribe told me that there were more trees that had cones on them than should have been. Um, There were more cones on the trees than should have been. And I've got pictures of them five foot tall with cones all over them. Now, these guys know they're dying. So they're trying to throw as much seed out there as they can to carry on their species. Wow. And so there should have been seedlings all over the place. I didn't see the seedlings myself to the end of July. They could have been there probably before that, but I'm out in the woods probably five days a week, uh, if not six days a week. And um, and so I walked up and I grabbed one of those seedlings. And these are also this is also one of the videos on my uh, YouTube page. Mm-hmm. And what I pulled up that um, seedling. About three inches tall, and uh, the girth, uh, maybe the size of two toothpicks, Mm -hmm. at the most three. Um, And I pulled that up, and there are no lateral roots, and it goes all the way down to a point. So I'm not breaking it in half or anything, and I can pull them up all day long like that. And so in 2020, I went out, and they're the same height, same girth, Mm. but now they got a second set of needles on top of them, and I pulled that up, and you can see there's no lateral roots, and it goes down the point. Wow. Last year, I went out there, same height, same girth, now there's a third set of needles on top of that seedling mm-hmm. that's maybe three inches tall and maybe two toothpicks together, three at the most. And I, that's one of the videos that you will see me pulling up that third year uh, seedling and I show the three years of growth on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no new stuff growing out there. Where, and our trees sequest a third of the CO2 we emit every year. So if our trees are as dry and brittle as I say they are, 
and um, I'm being published for my observations, Mm -hmm. then that um, they are turning from, that stays up there, and now they're uh, switching from a carbon sink to a carbon contributor. People are wondering, they're thinking why they're blowing past all their predictions. This is why. And nobody, people haven't caught on to that yet. And the the Intertribal Timber Council published my observations in the largest forestry magazine on the West Coast. Wow. It's called the Western Forester. It's it's, an extension of the Society of American Foresters. And you can find that article by uh, research, by uh, googling um, a lifetime of observations. Awesome! I'll put that the, in our show notes also. Come again? I said I'll put that in our show notes also. I'll put a link to that in our yeah. Far out, and there are thirteen federal agencies putting together the next national climate assessment, the NCA five. And the Department of Interior, one of their uh, one of their departments within itself, is the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Beautiful. The the BIA reached out to the Institute of Tribal Environmental Professionals and asked if they'd reach out to Indian Country and see if we're seeing things in the environment. Other people. Uh, aren't seeing and um, they just released that report this last December and it's called the status of tribes and climate change I am honored to be one of the 90 authors that they published in there that are seeing things that nobody else is Mm. I'm currently working with them now for the NCA 5 that'll be out next year. Wow. Um, but my observations in that report begin on page 60. Um, I've got a letter from a professor of forestry uh, named Andy Perleberg at WSU. Mm-hmm. I'm currently working with Greg Edel, who is a professor of forestry and climate at the University of Washington. He put a multimedia message out that I shared with you mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, that uh, said that any student that wanted to um, help me with creating a survey online portal of my educational materials and set up a network throughout any country can do their capstone project on that. So uh, whether the students do it or not, mm-hmm. he has already, uh, he's already said that it's something that is interesting enough to him that they're going to do their capstone. He's going to allow their students to do that. That's huge, man. That's um, big. Yeah, I got other as well too, but there's, there's four of them there that should, I hope. Um, I don't have any letters behind my name. Yeah. And people tell me, well, go to school. 
so you can get a degree and come back and people will listen to you more. There's no time for me to get a degree. And I am, you know, excuse me, but if I am the one teaching the professor what's going on. I, you know, so Darren, I, I agree with you hundred percent on that, man. I, I, one of the reasons I actually started this podcast was to give people that don't have an alphabet worth of letters after their name, but are still smart as shit and have a lot of good information and knowledge to share, to give them a platform to share that on. And to your point, like, you know, the, the amount of knowledge you already have, the amount of knowledge that you've gained already. Yeah. You would be teaching the class. You, you wouldn't be, I mean, you definitely could be gaining something, but you're going to be the one teaching the teachers about what's actually going on. So, you know, don't waste your time on that. Just continue on the path that you're on. You're already making waves and getting this information out there, you know, and that's so beautiful. I guess my, my question to you would be, you know, for, for me as like a, just a common person, right. Or the, the, the regular, you know, householder or just human being in the world, how do we help this? How do we, what's our part? How can we, how can we help either raise awareness or help with the over, uh, the over CO2 in the air or just, you know, what's, what's our part that we can do to help out? Is it okay if I, um, shared with you the examples, um, that I, that I have been able to discover that they're talking about, would yeah. it be okay if I answered that afterwards? Yeah, most definitely, please. All right, far out. Uh, in 2014, mm-hmm. I noticed the tips of the branches were uh, going up and reaching for the sun. And so I went over and I grabbed a pine needle and I pulled it apart and I pulled apart way too easy. Yeah for the experience I have is uh, a child back home on the res playing with pine needles and different things. So I grabbed eight of them Hmm. and I put them into a bunch and I was able to pull that whole bunch a quarter inch piece from one end uh, to the other. Hmm. uh, And then I scraped up a pile of needles with my hands dead needles that were on the ground and I put them between my hand and I scrunched them and I turned them to powder. Now this is something they couldn't teach you and they even take that test or understand what it means once I uh, gave them that information. Yeah. And what that means to me is Indian country has been uh, Turtle Islanders mm-hmm. have been um, weaving with pine needles uh, forever and uh, one needle at a time. Mm-hmm. If I can pull eight of them apart that effortlessly, a person wouldn't have been able to weave with just one. Right. And, and if I can turn them to powder when they dry, a person wouldn't have made mats and bowls and different um, things uh, like that um, out of them. Yeah. And that's knowledge you're not going to learn in school. And that's too, I can see seven things wrong with the pine needles. And nobody that I've talked to, and I've talked to a lot of people within the tribes, within the state government, within the federal government, within the city government, uh, parts 
all those guys, and I can't get anybody to see what I'm seeing. Hmm. So they do. After I show them, they can see it. Right. But but I don't know why the inaction. And people are agreeing that climate change is real. And they're seeing that it's happening exactly real fast. But uh, people are arguing about if it's real. The people that believe it need to start preparing for it. It's coming. And I don't see anybody preparing for it. But the other things on that, the third thing Mm -hmm. on those pine needles is they're supposed to be forest green. Our conifers, go look at any of them. They're a lot darker, supposed to be forest green. And right now they're a real, real light green and uh, maybe a gray green. Um, and and they're real dull looking. And um, I believe they're losing the tint because they're they're dying. Yeah. And um, and um, the other thing is that cuticle. It's that waxy substance that goes over leaves and needles that holds in the moisture and reflects the sunlight. Mm-hmm. That's, that's four. And how do I know that? I'm not, uh, uh, I don't have a lab to be able to test that. And I never have tested it. But, but for me, I look at it this way. If I'm able to pull eight of those pine needles apart and I can turn them to powder when they dry then there's a pretty uh, good chance that um, that uh, that cuticle is missing. Right. And so that's four. Hmm. Um, one of them is um, uh, branches of pine needles are supposed to come on in little packs throughout the branch. Okay. Not anymore. Now they come on in a circumference around the end of the branch. When I first saw this, um, it reminded me of a chimney brush. But now that all the branches are reaching for the sky, um, I've uh, I've got an example, and this is uh, the fifth the fifth one. Okay. At um, but that branch that I busted off of the AT&I's conference up at that park has six sections of those pine needles at the end. And what that means to me is that um, pine needles shed, pine trees shed their pine needles every two to three years. So if there's, the, so if there's that many on there, there's at least two, maybe more, uh, maybe a, uh, two or maybe more times the foliage that should be um, on those branches. Mm. Um, and so that's why it's so smoky. And so that is... Um, 
I think that was the sixth one. Mm-hmm. And the seventh one is the the way I know how to understand these pine needles so much is there's a plant called Smokachin, uh, is what our people called it forever. Okay. Um, and I believe it's uh, the European name is called balsam root. Okay. And they look like a miniature sunflowers. They grow in a bunch. And when those things bloom, they bloom everywhere at the same time. And I've been seeing great big areas where it's all bloomed out just over the hill, say 100 yards or better. Um, it's still coming up out of the ground. And then I see other great big areas where not even one flower in there at all. Now, what you do um, is you eat those before they bloom and you um, pull, uh, you take that top off and you peel it. And it's uh, like a cucumber. Oh. Now, when I, when I was real small mm-hmm. uh, and learning this with my grandma, who is a full-blood Spokane, and my mom, who is half Spokane and half Caldwell, mm-hmm. and um, I would sit on the hills in the springtime, and we would pick those and eat them. And because of my shaky hands, my mom was always peeling them for me. Hmm. And when she get tired, she her my grandma say, here, play with these. And she taught me how to play with pine needles and different things. Yeah. And one of the things I can do, I, I can make a chain um, shoot as long as I want uh, out of pine needles. Yeah. And how I did that was our pine needles have three needles in in that little uh, uh i can't remember that little sheath at the end okay and um you pull two of those needles out and you uh bend that one over and you stick it back in that sheath and then you can make your chain that way huh. and um and uh, so that They've been changing over and over and over the different ways, and um, or and as a progression type deal, and they progress now. To last year, that sheath was completely gone, nothing holding those needles together. Wow! So it's there's nothing we can do. And um, it doesn't matter how many trees we plant or anything else. We're being forced to grow at an accelerated rate. And our vegetation can't keep up with that. And so that's where food uh, is going to be scarce. Yeah. Do you think that's one of the reasons why the the wildfires are getting so bad right now, especially down the West Coast, because of the... The lack of nutrients in the trees are just going up like kindling instead of actually being able to hold on to their their moisture. That's exactly why. Okay. It's, I've got a video on my page there mm-hmm. that I walk up to a fifteen foot tall pine tree 
and bend it over and it looks like there's nothing wrong with it and I snap it in half. I've got videos of me uh, out here uh, grabbing uh, my cherry branch off one of my trees mm -hmm. and say it's bigger than the size of a quarter, maybe between a half and a quarter, somewhere in there. And it's four feet long or something. And I grab that, and it's healthy, big green leaves all over. Mm -hmm. And I grab that, and I bust it with my hands about every six to eight inches. Yeah, I remember and watching that video. It, that was that was alarming, watching you do that. That was, yeah, that was very alarming, watching that happen. Yeah, and, and that's in my yard where I give it plenty of moisture. So, again, it, it doesn't matter yeah. if we're going to give it that or not. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, we're done yeah. as far as the trees. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's, it sounds like, I mean, there's, to, I mean, to be honest, there's, there sounds like a little bit of despair in your voice. Like we, we've kind of lost our chance to, to make this right. Is that kind of where you think we're at? Or do you think there is a turning point? Oh no, that's, that's a fact. Yeah. You can, I can go out to any branch on any tree out there and, um, and then that and snap and snap that one in bend and just snap. Yeah. And for and for anybody out there that is skeptical about this, and yeah, I do believe that this will mitigate uh, the damages if we hurry up. And for anybody that's skeptical out there, I'm going to ask you to look at a deciduous tree, one with leaves on it. I'm going to give you a second here to go find that. And I'm going to show you how that's growing in an accelerated rate. Okay. How the structure of our trees have changed. And we'll never be able to change the structure back. When you're looking at that tree, notice how wide it is. Mm -hmm. And now look at the branches. You see all the branches reaching for the sky? Yeah. If that tree always did that, the branches reached for the sky, it would have never got as wide as it did. So it's, I grew marijuana with elevated levels of CO2 for over five years. And I would cut my, uh, I would go down, find the five solid branches on my plant cut the top off, I would fold those back. New ones would come up uh, from that going straight up. I'd fold those back and new ones. I had a plant one time that had 36 tops on it. Holy shit. Because, because they're all reaching for the sky. And but for those branches on those trees, just on the pine trees alone, mm -hmm. there's uh, three things wrong with the branches. The first one, the brittle, I can go over and grab them and just snap them. They can be a silver dollar size. Wow. And I'll snap them. And, um, and the second thing is uh, back when I first saw this, um, they reminded me of, um, of a chimney brush. But now that all the branches are reaching for the sky, it reminds me more of a bottle brush. Mm. And there's your second one. 
And the third one is that pine trees, the, re the reason they're so uh, fire resistant is because they have thick bark and um, they shed their uh, bottom branches. That's why you can see those tall trees and there's no branches below it. They've shedded them. Mm -hmm. And if you go out there and look, those trees are dying so fast they don't have time to shed their bottom branches. And that bark is loose. So when you get a fire in there, it's going to crawl right up those branches, mm. uh, those dead branches and that, um, all that dead bark and needles that are uh, piled up around those trees. And then it's going to start climbing those. The extra foliage is going to make them burn hotter. The uh, branches all reaching for the sky uh, are going to make them crown. And what what crowning means is in a forest fire, when a tree reaches the top, excuse me, a fire reaches the top and it jumps from top to top, that's called crowning. Gotcha. And the way that these trees are all, um, the structure is changed in them all, that's what's happening. And there's just no, I saw a picture of a fire on, on my res. I bet the ground was burning about silver foot, maybe 18 inches better, mm -hmm. uh, was all on fire. And that's because those needles don't have that waxy coating, coating on them uh, to kind of give them that fire resistant. So they're you imagine a bottle brush of needles mm. that uh, are bone dry and the branches heading for the sky. Yeah. There's, you can't put that fire out. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> that's, that's alarming. That's very alarming, man. So, um, what are your, so I, I know you're, you're bringing a lot of awareness to this, but what are your next steps for, for this awareness? Or I, I know you're working with a bunch of different groups to, uh, to help with, uh, the information that's being shared, but you know, for your personal journey with this, where, where are you taking this next? Um, I was public, uh, and I'm recognized as about my trees. So I have to move on to the next thing. And the next thing is in 2019, I uh, was in a Walmart parking lot and I looked up at the parking lot light and there were no insects. Mm. I came back to my house. I looked all over uh, different places. I called all over, no insects. I had a buddy of mine that's a truck driver. And I had him take pictures from night lights from Pennsylvania, Missouri, Michigan, Alabama, all the way across the country, mm -hmm. Texas, up into Canada, and other countries, no insects. Wow. Now, uh, now we got people, we got entomologists that are walking in and out of their house every day and they're not seeing that. So I believe, again, Christ is opening my eyes. And uh, to uh, support what I'm uh, claiming there, um, a newspaper here in Eastern Washington, uh, the, mm, the biggest newspaper, 
um, went out to try to prove me wrong. Okay. Tried to re- tried to refute my observations, but being my observations are irrefutable, mm-hmm. they published them instead. Wow. And you can find that article if you Google the bottom as it just dropped out. Now to uh, lend a little support to what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. the May 2020 issue of National Geographic, May 2020 issue of National Geographic. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of insects on the cover. Caption says you're going to miss these. And the article states we lost 70% of our insects from 1990 to 2016. That's that's six years before I noticed them gone around the nightlight. I I got maybe two or three mosquitoes last year, uh, bites. They're usually filthy. How about your houses now, guys? Take a look at your houses. You, How you doing with spiders? You've seen many spiders in your house this winter, this uh, coming up to spring. Um, It's the frog in the pot of water. Everything is happening so... uh, uh, so slow around us that people aren't noticing. Uh, you asked me uh, what um, what I want to do now mm-hmm. with with this, and I'm not done pushing uh, uh, the about. The, I'm not done talking about the trees Good. or the insects. I'm still bringing that awareness. But my reservation is 1.4 million acres in eastern Washington state. Mm -hmm. We're one of the largest timber tribes in the nation. What what I'm saying is that our birds feed their their young, and uh, 90% of their diet is insects. Mm -hmm. So if that's not, we've already lost like two-thirds of our birds wow. um, around the world. And um, and this is happening everywhere around the world at the same time. And so if we don't hurry up and get those insects out there, we can't just be saying it's real or not. Just like the insects, you need to prepare. Hmm. Um, and, and you prepare. Uh, here's what... I've got nobody helping me with these ideas, so here's one that I am going to try to. Uh, well, I'm already um, trying to talk. My I brought it up to several people. Mm-hmm. My tribe put me on the front page of our tribal newspaper three times. Um, talk is supporting what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just can't get the administration to move on. You guys know how politicians are. Right. They know difference on the rest. And so, but what I'm proposing is that we start uh, bug farms, and we should have had those a long time ago. And what we need to do is start releasing mast insects into our forests and in different places and um right now hopefully they'll um 
hatch some babies out while they're out there. Mm-hmm. And and then we build some kind of bug fund to support them uh, when the uh, plants are uh, going, going four or five weeks early right. and whatnot, what have you. And our moths uh, pollinate them as much as the bees do. Mm-hmm. So they're so guys this this is it this is it what kind of bugs are uh what what is there a specific kind of bug that you're focusing on for the bug farm or is it just insects in general i i haven't um i haven't researched any of that i just came up with that idea a few weeks ago and i got so many other things i'm working i've got four major things i'm working on right now and so that um i don't know what kind of insects but tribes are very meticulous uh on uh, taking notes hmm. of what's going on with fish count, with uh, birds, insects, trees, uh, or whatever. Yeah. And so, I think that there uh, they will have the wisdom that we need to ascertain to uh, save our ecological environment yeah and i believe that they will know what type of insects they need in those in those certain areas and we'll go from there yeah okay well man you're doing some big work brother you're bringing awareness you're you're finding things out that that people aren't even looking for yet man i i'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing you know i know it seems kind of uh you know kind of like disparaging at times i I would imagine you know seeing this this much you know, de- depletion of our, of our, of our resources, but you know, somebody has got to bring awareness to it, man. And not to know what we're going to do with this information yet, but I appreciate you bringing that awareness to us. Um, it, sorry, go ahead. It, it's lame. Every time I walk out of my house, I can see what I'm talking about Yeah. and more. Yeah. That's got to be hard on the heart, man. Just to just see it see it happening all the way around you, and and you know, luckily people are starting to listen, though. You know, we're not not know if we can do anything to save it, but we're we're in the path of listening, and hopefully we can figure out something to to counteract what we've been what we've been witnessing now, whether we realize it or not. Yeah, I'm very helpful um, being in those, being published in those, and I'm working with the people putting the NCA five um, together next year the national climate assessment for my observations to be clued, included in there beautiful well i hope they are man is there so is there something that we as listeners uh can do to help your cause uh is there awareness that we can help bring uh bring uh bring to light or is it support that we can that we can offer for the the information that's coming up um, I don't know yet. I like say I'm just one person. If I could get some people together, maybe I could figure something out. But I right now get a hold of the politicians. Okay. I can't um, get a hold of the people that get a hold of the foresters and the people that are head of the parks and uh, these anywhere that. You will see 
that um, somebody might be watching, if not watching, they have it all around them. You could open people in the park's eyes and what have you. And again, guys, excuse me, Ben, here, here's the last thing. I, I believe Indian country isn't getting our due um, respect hmm. because I feel we lost our identity, because we lost our home. We got different tribes. So we have our identity as tribes, but not as a people. You got people in Canada that are First Nations, of people down here uh, that are Indians, Mm -hmm. Native Americans, and people have used those terms in a derogatory way for a long time. We have people on each side of the border referring to ourselves as different people. We, uh, the, the name Indian is already used, mm-hmm. and the term Native American is anybody from America. So how are we going to claim our identity as a people? Yeah. Well, we lost all our land, and we was mistreated like we did And we're still suffering the generational trauma. But one of the things that um, that could be um, maybe try to make up for some of the damage that was caused Hmm. is allow us to unite again. We wouldn't have back in the day, this continent before the European, anybody else got here. Uh, was referred to as Turtle Island, mm. and and it moves like a turtle. Yeah. So, and um, and with that, if uh, we were able to uh, get uh, our identity back as far as the, the name of our country is, um, would be. Uh, we would be referred to as Turtle Islanders. Mm. Wouldn't wouldn't be Indians. Wouldn't be Native Americans. Wouldn't be First Nations. We'd be Turtle Island mm. from top to bottom. And I feel that that will bring us unity and help with the healing uh, that uh, 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 to the devastation that was inflicted upon of people. Yeah. My my grandma, like I said, is full blood spoke in. Mm-hmm. And and her I think her enrollment number is like eight fifty within the tribe, something like that. But if you look back at her um parents, mm-hmm. my great grandma, her name was Squinchina. Uh I don't remember my grandpa Jackson's uh real name but they gave him the name Jackson Alexander and my grandma Squinchina, uh, they changed her name to Elizabeth. Hmm. And you can see they're not even an enrollment number. That's when the tribe just got started. Um, so I'm 
I've got a little bit of knowledge uh, of the indigenous ways. Yeah, most definitely, man. I I, I love that idea of, of of uniting the whole continent as Turtle Islanders instead of you know, us colonizing the name and saying, we're going to call it this. We're going to call you this entire race of people. We're going to call y'all this. It's like, that's not even right. You know, the Turlet Islanders, I love that. And I support that a hundred percent brother. Is there, is there, um, are, is that an idea that you're just now getting off the ground to, to get momentum behind, or is there somewhere our listeners can go to kind of help, you know, raise awareness for that? Not yet. Okay. I'll let you know, uh, and maybe you can let them know later. But I called a tribe down in California, and they were hip on it. Mm. And and I called uh, Autumn Peltier. You guys know about um, about Greta, uh-huh. who is yep. a war- climate warrior. That's right. Uh, well, there's an Indian girl. A turtle islander uh-huh. up in up in Canada, named Autumn Peltier. Okay. There's a tribe up there, a richest tribe up there in Quebec of all of Canada, and I talked to them about the insects and the trees, and I mentioned about turtle uh, turtle island, and they were very receptive as well. Beautiful. Uh, we we uh, our people are bringing back the canoes uh, mm. and a cedar made out of red cedar and and different things. Beautiful. Depends on where you're at, I guess. Yeah. And they're coming down from Canada. They're they're all over the place. So uh, that's the we're right in step. And so we're going to put some T-shirts and whatnot together and be posted up at some powwows this year, trying to get some uh, names on the back of these uh, uh, these uh, Turtle Islanders. Um, so I would like to just be able to give these shirts away hmm. uh, to, to kind of promote it and get other swag. Uh, to give away mm-hmm. um, but Deb Holland right now I just saw a couple of days ago that she put a press release out I can't remember if it's 300 or 600 I, uh, it's uh, my memory is still bad mm-hmm. um, and, uh, but she is going to change it's already set in motion she's changing uh over 300 600 names uh that are offensive like two turtle islanders like squaw Mm. and different things like that that's beautiful somebody's got to bring that awareness up and start making those changes i think that's exactly it's a it's a great step in the right direction. We're we're doing it with the Confederate statues in the South. We need to start doing it with all the different derogatory names that we don't even realize we're using anymore. You know, we got to get in front of this stuff. That's right. Damn straight, brother. Well, man, you are you are one fantastic human being, brother. I appreciate all the work that you're doing, uh, the awareness that you're bringing, um, the from plant medicines to the trees to bugs to Turtle Island. I mean, you're doing so much stuff right now, brother. I really appreciate you being the human that you are and utilizing those gifts to really bring awareness to everybody about the things that you notice. 
And that's what I think, that's, that's one of the most beautiful things about humanity. You know, we're all built so differently, so uniquely that you're going to see something and that's going to resonate with you that might not resonate with me and you having the, the wherewithal to bring that awareness to us. That's how we create that movement. And so brother, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be doing this right now. I appreciate you. Far out. It's been an honor to be your guest. Thank you, brother. And I will reach out soon. And again, I'll put some links in the show notes for anybody that can help out Darren, uh, whether it's the, uh, the UW program to volunteer for the capstone, maybe some investment to help get the, the swag out there so we can uh, increase the awareness for Turtle Island or whatever that is. Uh, Darren, thank you again, brother. I look forward to talking with you again, my friend. Uh, likewise. Thank you to all your guests. And I wish you all the best. Thank you, brother. Peace. Thank you so much for spending time with Darren and I. Uh, check out the show notes if you have any questions, want to see some of the links we talked about. And please subscribe, comment, or like the show. And thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Obasis of Love.